Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. UK's only Things Union show, produced for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation. In this week's episode, what COVID has done to our unions, a stunning new report. Plus, Mel Sims' thought for the week and Josiah Mortimer's radical roundup. Hello, you're very welcome to Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper. And in this week's episode, we have a bumper feast for you. We have Becky Wright and Tom Hunt talking about the groundbreaking, stunning report that they've carried out into how unions have responded, battled and fought through the COVID pandemic. We've got Mel Sims, Professor of Work and Employment from the University of Glasgow, with her regular Thought for the Week, this time talking about sick pay and its importance on the negotiating agenda. And if that wasn't enough, I can introduce you to a new regular contributor to the programme, Josiah Mortimer from Left Foot Forward, with his radical roundup of news from the Labour movement. First, Thought for the Week. With Professor Mel Sims. This week, Mel is ruminating on the importance of sick leave and of not turning into work if you're too poorly to do the job. Hi, this week I've been thinking a lot about sick pay and uh, how important it's become in our ability to effectively act around coronavirus and how much it constrains our ability to really tackle coronavirus effectively. In the UK, we've long had a work culture that glorifies presenteeism. And I really don't think it's uh, an overstatement to use the verb glorifies. Every winter, we see ads that promote cold and flu medicines that promote them as a means to power on through and keep going no matter what, often showing people ill in offices. And as a line manager, I know that it's it's really difficult to get staff to go home and to stay there if, uh, if they're sick. And I understand why. I'm certainly not faultless in this regard. I've often struggled in to deliver a lecture or a seminar when really I should be at home under the duvet and and resting with a, a cup of tea. But I think the pandemic has really brought into sharp focus how problematic this behaviour is. And in some workplaces, presenteeism is a choice. I could go home if I was sick and I would still be paid. I'd have the work to catch up with, but ultimately I'd be able to pay my bills. Many workers are in that situation, and I think that's become much clearer to a much wider group of people. And that places them in a horrendous position if they test positive for coronavirus or they're asked to self-isolate. And it's become very clear to me after 10 months of this that as an absolute priority, we need to improve the provision of sick pay for all workers. And I think for unions and campaign organisations, we really need to focus on that agenda. And more than that, we need to start to change this culture of presenteeism because getting sick, whether it's with coronavirus or anything else, isn't anyone's fault. 
I think there are things we can do individually as well as collectively. And certainly as a manager, I've become insistent that when people are ill, they stop working. And as a worker, I've tried to make a promise to myself, but more importantly, as an act of solidarity, to not just work on through it and to take time to rest, even if that does mean catching up later. I think we're in an unusual moment where sick pay becomes such a centrally political issue. And I think there's a lot we can all do to really try and strengthen provision and implementation in all of our workplaces. Thank you very much indeed, Mel. Thought-provoking as ever. And if you want to find out more about the TUC's sick pay campaign, then if you just put TUC sick pay campaign into the search engine of your choice, you will find the campaign page. And Josiah will pick up what the University and Colleges Union, Mel's Union, is doing on this important subject area as part of his radical review later in the show. Now, we all know that the pandemic has hit unions and the way unions work particularly hard, presented a whole load of new challenges. And unions have been on the front foot in terms of protecting their members and shaping public policy. That's paid dividends in terms of increases in union membership over the the period of the pandemics so far it's also encouraged forced unions to innovate in perhaps a way they haven't done beforehand for example home working remote working is is necessary essential compulsory uh, whereas in many unions it's something that had been at best tolerated at worst resisted for for many many years up until now it's also therefore raised questions which is if actually things can be run properly remotely, do people need to travel around the country seeing small groups of members? Is it more effective politically and economically to do that by, by video call? Uh, do you need big, large head offices if, if people don't need to work in them all the time? These are difficult but necessary, unavoidable questions. And this is exactly the sort of thing that has been covered in the new report, COVID-19 and unions, new questions, new responsibilities. It's a new report that's been published jointly by Unions 21 and Sperry, the Sheffield Political Economy Research Institute. And I was absolutely uh, delighted that the report authors, Becky Wright, uh, Executive Director of Unions 21, and Tom Hunt, Deputy Director of Sperry, Tom, who's the one who wrote most of the words, were able to join me on the Unions 21 podcast just before the report was published last week. A really, really interesting discussion and a fascinating, fascinating document. Tom Hunt, Deputy Director of Sperry, the Sheffield Political Economy Research Institute. Becky Wright, Executive Director of Unions 21. Thank you for joining us on the Union Jews podcast. And thank you for sharing with me on an embargoed basis only at the time of recording this absolute goldmine which is the report on how unions have responded to COVID-21, a fantastic document. Um, I'm, you, you, I, it's a Zoom call, listeners, and I can see them both blushing now. But seriously, it's really good stuff. Let, let's go back to first principles. What's the basis for this research? How did you carry out the research? How many people did you speak to? Over what period of time? So the basis for the research was really to answer our starting question, which was, when we went into lockdown, when work suddenly transformed into becoming a, a serious matter of, of life and death for so many people, when work for millions of other people moved into their homes and everything to do with our working lives was thrown up in the air and transformed, in that changed context, how did unions continue to operate effectively? 
how did they adapt? What lessons did they learn? And so we wanted really to find out how they had continued to work because we knew that they had been clearly still very, very visible, perhaps even more visible than they had been pre-pandemic. Um, and so we wanted to learn about those changes. We conducted the research in the autumn of 2020 between October and December. So on quite a tight timeline. And the contributions came from over 40 different unions. And that was in the form of interviews, which range from people at general secretary level through to workplace organisers, heads of communication, heads of organising, NEC members and union staff from a range of different unions right across the world all contributed to a survey that we ran, an online survey, which was um, asking questions about how their work had changed during the course of the pandemic so far. And Becky, how did you structure? I mean, that's a, that's a, that, you know, absolutely, there's a there's a clear reason to investigate this. But how did you structure the investigation in terms of what particular areas were you were you trying to dig into to get to get views on? So anybody that has ever been taught by me, heard me listen, read any piece of work from me, know that I kind of approach the idea of union effectiveness and and, and organising by this idea that. A union is like a house with its main aim of building the power and influence of its members. And that house is structured in four different parts. The members, the activists, engagement and then negotiations. And so it made sense to me at the beginning of our research proposal and then knock around with Tom at the beginning of the research to actually think about it in those four areas how did we get members and continue to recruit members? And where are those members and who are they? How have reps been recruited and supported throughout this particular period of time? How have we communicated? Have we engaged with our members? Things that we're doing around that. And lastly, how have we been advocating and negotiating for our members? And what have we been doing? And from that kind of four points we've sort of pushed it through now and I think it's five or six areas now that we've sort of come out in the process of doing the report that we thought were really really important okay so that's that's the structure that's the methodology what did you find what were what were people saying what was it I mean apart from (laughs) stuff I mean was there I mean Inevitably, and as, as you yourself acknowledge in the, in the report, it's a report that poses at least as many questions as there are answers. But was, was there a coalescence around certain things? And was there a division between people for whom COVID actually was a catalyst on a journey to changing the way they do things and becoming more effective or try, trying different things? And a difference between, a difference between those people and people who are like reluctant travellers, who actually ideally would have just like everything to stay the same, but it couldn't because of, of of COVID. How does it look? What how does the landscape that you you surveyed look? I think what we find is a story of of adaptation. The word innovation is often sort of bandied around when it comes to the pandemic, and it often means a quick fix. New bit of tech has been used, or a quick fix. New sort of structure, and we use the word innovation in the report. But what we mean is that unions have looked at the situation, 
that their members, the new situation that their members are facing. Listen to what those members are saying and adapt it accordingly to the new circumstances that those members are in and that unions themselves are in. Because one of the things that comes through clearly from the research is that unions themselves have been transformed by the pandemic. Nearly everyone I spoke to had been working from home wholly since March, with many not planning to return to the office for some time, possibly not ever. If there's one big theme that runs through, it's that the pandemic has given unions a chance to engage with more members than they were and to get more and greater information from those members. We're all very familiar with Zoom. We're doing this podcast by Zoom. Nobody was familiar with Zoom 10 months ago, but rapidly unions adopted Zoom to, and saw the potential of Zoom to find out about situations that their members were facing. Give you an example. One organiser told me that previously their brief covers the entire country and they would spend an awful lot of time on the road going to visit one workplace to meet with a relatively small number of members. Now they can do five or six different workplace meetings in a day and they have no intention of going back onto the road. They say they get better information now. They're able to feed that information up the chain, but also then back down to members to empower them to use it in their workplaces. And this greater amount of communication with members is deepening the bonds between members and their union, but strengthening the hands of unions with employers. So I think more, more engagement is something that really comes through from our research. Yes, indeed. I mean, sorry, Becky, do go on. What I was going to say is, is one of the things that has, Tom's point aside, one of the things that really struck me in the findings, the overall findings, is that the pandemic has brought challenge to us all. It's not been the easiest of years. And that even within that, with that, unions broadly have come together really well internally and that they're, you know, we've seen increased member engagement, increased activism and positive signs of increased membership as well. But a lot of union staff were telling us they felt a renewed sense of purpose. That's really important. Yes. I thought was really... Yeah, I thought it was really important and really interesting as well. And, of course, that's across, as Tom had said before, that is the majority of the UK respondents and also across the piece. And while we know it's not been an easy time for people, there has been some silver linings through all of this. I noticed uh, in the, there's, a, there's a standout stat from the conclusion, which is 70% uh, of the people you surveyed thought that their unions were stronger in terms of membership, activism, engagement and collective bargaining outcomes as a result of the changes enforced upon them or that they, they generated through the pandemic. But equally, there were some perhaps unintended consequences or, or unenvisaged consequences of new ways of doing things, such as 
people having Zoom fatigue, a reduced ability, for example, for pastoral care. Uh, one thing that's again stuck in my mind was, was the view from some younger members who went to a virtual conference who felt not able to participate as fully as they would have done had it been in real life because there's all the kind of soft skills, the informal briefing, the informal learning points that you get from 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 networking in person as opposed to networking virtually. So, I mean, it's going to be a very interesting period as this thinking now rolls into a sort of second phase in terms of mopping up these issues that have been caused by the first phase, I, I suppose. Were there any standout conclusions or standout initiatives that you thought, wow, that's either a surprise or that's flash? Or, oh, no, that's dreadful. I mean, we, 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 no, if you could, Simon, if you, could you are not going to get me to say that was dreadful about any union at all. <laughs> uh, nor am I going to you know, entertain that because it, it would be false because there is, there's, nothing yeah. that I, I, there's nothing that I came across in the research which was, which was terrible. There are things that unions haven't, I think, would, would say... They haven't worked as well as they would have liked, but they've still worked. It's been a period of experimentation. And that's almost one of the key takeaways that we're looking to for people to get when they read the report, which is that this moment now, as we go into year two of the pandemic, is a chance to reflect and evaluate on what has worked, what perhaps hasn't worked as well as they might have hoped, um, and why. Because otherwise, we'll get to some point six, 12 months down the line, and there won't be the opportunity to to capture those thoughts whilst they're still fresh in the mind. And so we're very conscious that unions have, through necessity, needed to be very reactive through 2020. And the way 2021 is going are likely to need to be reactive to changing circumstances for a good part of this year, there was concern from some people I spoke to that what that meant is that a proactive, long-term, strategic look at what the challenges that their members were facing, the challenges that their union was facing, were at risk of getting squeezed out. And so the point of putting out our report now at this moment is to really try to add to that conversation about keeping an eye on the kind of the not the short term but also the medium to long term issues those structural challenges that are facing unions yeah i get that because actually the actually the key thing is to be able to hang on to the spirit and the practice of true innovation a recognition that not everything will work in the best way or the most anticipated way, but that's not doesn't make it a failure, and that it's important to to keep that drive and that that capacity, mental capacity as well as physical capacity, to to try new things. Yeah, yeah, I think it does bring questions around how we manage ourselves and manage our unions and what kind of culture we we bring forward. I mean, I think that the report does really well to highlight advantages and disadvantages to a lot of the stuff that we've done there's there's nothing really where we can sort of say this was 100% awful or this was so amazing it's never going to be replicated at school I think there is a recognition that things aren't always going to be perfect and so it's not about 
throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's like understanding why things didn't maybe work out as well as you had hoped and how you need to adapt. And I think this, this term, this word adaptation is crucial. It's like the, the thread throughout the whole piece. You don't just adapt and stop. You, you continue to adapt because of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Anybody that's a fan of strategic choice theory will know that that is what you have to do. You have to constantly evaluate where you are in relation to your external forces and adapt appropriately. And I think that this report really highlights that. And one thing I would say is that uh, when... Tom first sent over the report to me and I, I sat and I, I read it over a weekend which was enormous fun and I, I'm not being sarky it was great to read there were so many examples that we had to take out for fear of the report being too long and and yet you know none of those examples were perfect but all of them in their own way should set a light bulb off either for unions to see themselves in that example or to think of oh well hang on we tried that too and it, it didn't quite work what was the missing ingredient that we needed to add in maybe it's there and I also think that having some of the international comparisons was was really useful because we've been operating with the same pandemic but different public policy responses which has obviously changed the way in, in which we have had to adapt to the things we have had to do. Becky's absolutely right that there are real advantages and disadvantages to a lot of things that we cover in the report. Give you one example, which is the way in which negotiations with employers have taken place. Now, they've taken place in the same way that we're speaking now, largely via video conferencing. That has real disadvantages because it's much harder to read body language it's much harder to kind of form those informal relationships that take place in and around the sides of negotiations where actually some of the progress and breakthroughs can be secured let's go and get a coffee let's take five minutes out and let's come back and we'll have hopefully made a bit of progress and they take longer and they're just generally everyone said they're harder to do But at the same time, they also said doing everything online means it's much easier for me to then report back to the members to tell them how it's going quickly, get 30 people, 40, 50 people, 100 people on a Zoom call, tell them how it's going and get their input quickly so that I can then go back into another Zoom call to put the message that I'm hearing from my members to the employers. And, you know, that's so much easier than arranging a meeting where you then you know get people together get feedback so there are real pros and cons to a lot of things that unions have done over the next few uh, last year and it's i think a moot point as to you know on things like online negotiations or, or lots of other practices they're not going to return in the same way that they were done before March 2020. How they will return, I think, is up for discussion and unions can help shape that. But yes, you can't, you can't unthink an idea that you've, that's been out there, can you? How do you take this work forward? What's the 
process now of sharing this information, of giving more emphasis and momentum to some of the things that have shone through and are contained in the, in this report? So the report will be readily available for anybody to read up on our website, unions21.org.uk. You know, we have to thank, firstly, the Alex Ferry Foundation for contributing to the research and also the Unions 21 Unions who also um, funded this research as well. But it's open to everyone to read. And I think that's a really important thing to say especially at this given time, everybody can read it, everybody should read it. But we also think that there are some really good examples broadly that we can go into more detail. And so we'll be doing some webinar content over the next few months that people can sign up to and watch in more detail and hear a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of how things actually happen. It's sometimes really good to hear the idea but actually, at the end of it, you want to go, yeah, but how how did you actually convince that person to do that? How did you actually get that? And so we'll be doing two, one that's going to focus on member recruitment and engagement, another one that's going to f- uh, focus on advocacy and campaigning. And they'll be over January and February time. As an organisation, Unions 21 will be working with our unions at a variety of different levels to talk through about what this means for individual unions collectively as a movement thinking a bit more about what areas of the report do we want to spend some more time on and I think that's really important actually because each different aspect of the report doesn't just finish with our key findings it actually finishes with a set of questions that we think we still need to go through or that unions might want to go through such as well what does a hybrid working model look like for union staff what does it's funny that tom you know tom mentioned negotiations just now in my mind one of the the things we're really going to have to think a lot harder about is how we do negotiations it's not as it's not as simple as well we're just going to go back to face to face it's not going to happen so how do we actually do that and the other one which i think we're still grappling with is union democracy. How would we continue to do our democratic functions and what is the point, and I don't mean that pejoratively, what is the point of our union democratic processes in a time when one union can hold a webinar with three and a half, well, let's take the NEU for example, because they've had the biggest thing at the moment, you know, when they can have webinars where a staggering number of pe- of their members are on the call and they can get the views of so, yes. yeah and you can get your views of your members instantaneously what does a conference do and i'm always reminded of, of an, something that somebody said to me when i was at the tuc over lunch you know in the old days the reasons we had conferences is because we all had to come from all over the place and there was we like to travel to know what everybody felt like. So why do we still have conferences like we do? <laughs> Ooh, you can ask questions like that because the next thing you know, you'll get an answer saying, well, we don't need them and we can save all this money and spend it on more important value-add things. Yes. The point there, Simon, is um, that what 
as Becky said, what we put forward is a set of questions to which we're not saying we have the answers. This isn't a report which ends with a, a menu of recommendations to say, you know, if you're a big union, do this. If you're a smaller one, do this. Or you should, should all do this. It, the, there are live questions out there that yeah, need to real be questions. answered. And But the reason I think to put this out now is to invite evaluation on exactly what Becky said, whether it's conferences, whether it's meetings, whether it's negotiations, whether it's the organizing model, to encourage reflection on thinking, what is the aim? What What's our purpose when we're trying to do these things? And then form follows function, really. You know, if the aim of a conference is to pass some motions about union democracy and update the rule book, well, that could probably be done online. If the aim of a conference is to bring people together, to share ideas in full recognition that you can't do some of this as well online, to meet people, to fix, you know, to, to do a bit of politicking, then maybe some of that does need to be done in person. Whether it's, you know, an online branch meeting, we're putting out the question to say, what is it that you're trying to do? And then once you answer that, then sort of the rest of it, the investments that might be needed, the new ways of working, the new practices, they in theory follow from that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that you often hear people talking about the pandemic in quite apocalyptic terms, likening it to a war in the sense that everything's up in the air, nothing's going to be the same uh, after as, as it was before. Then people go on to say, well, where is where are the new ideas coming from? Where's the beverage report of, of, of our times as well? But it's no exaggeration to say, actually, your report is a mould breaker or a mould re recaster. I can't recommend it. I seriously cannot recommend it highly enough for saying, what is it that we're trying to do? How can we do it? How should we do it? How could we do it? So very well done, if you'll allow, allow me to say so. And I, I, I'm sure it will spark debates from this point forwards for you know many productive months, even years ahead. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> very kind. All credit, all credit silence at the other end of the line. <laughs> For once, Simon's actually made me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, like, okay. and, um, yeah, I have to say, I mean, I do have to say this, like, which is that Tom's been the backbone of, of doing this report. And I think that the involvement of him and Sperry have just been fantastic. I think there is a place for a lot of academic writing on how unions operate. And my academic friends you know I love you for that and it's fantastic but I also think there is a a place for the kind of pragmatic everyday nuts and bolts of what we're doing and I think this report really helps us with that yeah that's that was what I wanted to do I didn't want to write a report that was just gonna you know sit on the proverbial shelf actually this is supposed to be a a living, breathing thing that hopefully is written in a way and structured in a way that anyone in a union member, general secretary could pick up and get something from. So, yeah, that's um, that's really nice of you to say, Simon. Thank you. 
Pleasure. Thank you both very much for joining me on the Union Jews podcast. I'm sure we three shall meet again to to see how this this great program of work is going. COVID-19 and the work of unions, new challenges and new responses is available from the Unions 21 website. That's unions21.org.uk. I'd love your views on the report. If you were one of the 200 or so people who joined the video call at which the report was launched, if you've read highlights of it, if you've read the report in, in detail, what are the things that your union has done at branch, regional, national level? to meet the challenges of the COVID pan- pandemic? What's worked really well? What has not delivered the results that you perhaps you, you hoped for? What do you think of the questions raised by Becky and Tom in the report? You can join the conversation on Twitter at Jews Union. You can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. Now, as I said in the introduction, I'm delighted to welcome to Union Jews, Josiah Mortimer from Left Foot Forward. Each week, Left Foot Forward runs a a special section of new stories that have been buried. Often these are stories that involve unions and workers and collective action and collective voice uh, and so on. And in what I hope will be a regular contribution to the show, Josiah will give us a quick overview in his Radical Roundup. Three years after outsourcing giant Carillion collapsed, a move to bar directors of the firm from boardroom roles has been welcomed by Unite. The insolvency service will start legal steps to bar eight former directors of the construction firm from top boardroom positions. Unite said the move should have come much sooner. The firm collapsed in scandal in 2018 with seven billion in liabilities and the loss of thousands of jobs. The IWGB union has launched a new holding branch for members hoping to unionize their workforces. In a piece launching the branch on Left Forward, IWGB organiser Jamie Woodcock wrote that hundreds of people had been in touch during the pandemic to get organised, from call centre workers to those at fashion outlets and hospitality staff. Workers at North London Sage Nursing Home went on strike for the first time over the weekend over low pay and allegations of discrimination. Care workers and cleaners there, who are part of the United Voices of the World Union, are paid below the real living wage, with some staff earning just £8.72 an hour. The University and College Union, which represents university lecturers, has threatened industrial action to prevent an unsafe return to campus this academic year. On Sunday, the UCU called for university teaching to remain online to protect the well-being of staff, students and their communities. And finally, Labour leader Keir Starmer has warned that workers' rights could soon be at risk under the Tories. In his speech to the Fabian Society's New Year conference at the weekend, he warned that directives on maximum working hours could be ripped up now that Britain has fully left the EU. Kistama promised that Labour and the trade union movement would fight any negative changes to rights tooth and nail. That's all from this week's Radical Roundup in the Union Jews podcast. Find the full Radical Roundup on leftfootforward.org. Thanks, Simon. Back to you. Thank you very much indeed, Josiah. And just as an aside, those care home workers working for Sage in North London, some of them paid as low as 8 72 an hour when they want the London living wage. 872 an hour is, of course, the government's national living wage. And as we always say to all the employers out there, it's a floor, not a ceiling. Now, as you know, we always like to give a shout out on Union Jews to our friends, our colleagues and those we admire, those who we wish to support. Uh, first this week to the Fire Brigades Union at national level. Uh, as you'll be aware, firefighters have pitched in with other emergency services, particularly in the healthcare area, to 
provide more capacity and more support during the during the pandemic. Key question, of course, is what if a firefighter working with NHS staff, be, you know, somehow becomes infected with with COVID? They go back to their their brigade, they go back to their station. Suddenly, you have an outbreak of COVID amongst the fire service. Now, in order to avoid that, there was a system of checks that were made available that firefighters returning from working with NHS colleagues had to go through before returning to fire service duty. This is this has just been scrapped. This has been scrapped at a national level. No, we don't need to regulate this nationally. We don't need to make sure it happens at a national level. It just, it, it, this is crazy. This is crazy stuff. So the FBU quite rightly are saying, come on, you know, there's got to be a sensible, practical, regulated approach to this in order to make sure everyone is as safe as they possibly can be. And if you uh, go to FBU National on Twitter, you'll find the latest on the campaign and be able to indicate your support for that. Staying in the emergency services, representatives of 1.3 million, 1.3 million health service workers who are represented by Unison, Royal College of Midwives, Royal Colleges, College of Nursing have urged the government to speed up the pay review process as a pay review body that looks at NHS pay, makes recommendations to government. Government either then says, yes, we're going to back the recommendations or no, we're not going to. And what Sarah Gordon, uh, who is the lead spokesperson for this umbrella uh, group has said is come on get on with it don't wait till may with a pay increase that may or may not come online and until the summer speed up the process there is a recruitment crisis in in the nhs there are many vacancies those who are working are absolutely on their knees as we see from the the broadcast news virtually every day a pay rise is important for morale it's important for retention it's appropriate and a majority of the public believe it's justified as well and last but by no means least, a shout out to the Labour Radio Podcast Network. Uh, Labour Radio Podcast Network is a portal through which you can access around 70 shows linked to trade unions, organising, campaigning and so on. Mostly based in the US, some in Canada, a couple in the UK, including Union Jews, of course. Vital, necessary, engaging listening. LabourRadioNetwork.org is where you need to head to. Well, that's just about it for this episode. I do hope that you've enjoyed the last half hour or so, that it's made you think, that it's engaged you, that you have ideas and thoughts about what you'd like to see more of, what you think didn't work so well, would like to see less of, ideas for the show, people we should have a chat with. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Jews Union. You can email the show at unionjewsthatmakesyouthink.com. Additionally, if you are able to rate us on the podcast platform of your choice, that would be fantastic. We'd be so grateful for that. My thanks to our guests, Becky and Tom, to our regular contributors, Mel and Josiah, and of course, most of all, to you for choosing to spend time with us. Just leaves me to say that whatever you're doing, stay safe. Let's look after each other. And I'll see you next time on the Union Jews podcast. Bye for now. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.